We turn again this morning to the book of Ruth, and so I invite you to open your Bibles if you have them with me last week. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, the main characters so far in our story, had just returned. Remember, after years away, uh, they had returned to Bethlehem, uh, to Naomi's home, to the land of promise, and, and life had been full of despair in Moab. That had brought about in, in Naomi, anyway, uh, somewhat of a crisis of faith, right? Hopelessness and bitterness had her questioning Yahweh's care. But even through Naomi's struggle, even through Naomi's time in the valley and her genuine expression of emotion and struggle, we were reminded that when we are in similar situations, that we simply need to trust, right? Because there is more, there is always more than we can see. Well, this morning as we pick up the story we get to see, or maybe more importantly, Naomi and Ruth get to see some of what they couldn't see in the valley as the Lord begins to unravel, begins to show them His plan for them. It's really the last verse of chapter 1 where our narrator hints that everything is about to change. And so I'm going to start reading there in chapter 1, verse 22, and then I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 2. It's a lengthy um, account. I know, bear with me. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word as I read Ruth chapter 1, verses 22 through the end of chapter 2. Listen as I read. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink when the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? 
But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gleaned and was about an ephah of barley and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. If you've ever been with me, and uh, maybe I forgot to turn my phone to vibrate, and my wife calls me, and you hear the ringtone that is my wife's, you might know that one of Anna's favorite film series, I think I've mentioned this before to you, is the Bourne series. Jason Bourne, this black ops agent being hunted by the government. And one of my favorite quotes from the Jason Bourne series is when Jason is running from the government and he's coming through customs, and of course we've been told, we've been shown earlier in the movie that he has a dozen or so identities from all kinds of countries that he can choose from, but he's coming through customs in in France, and he's using a passport that those who are hunting him would, would know, an identity that they would know. And one of the agents says, as they're watching all the borders in Europe, one of the agents says, what is he doing? And another one says, he's making his first mistake. And the woman who has worked most closely with Jason Bourne says, it's not a mistake. They don't make mistakes. They don't do random 
there's always an objective. And indeed, as the plot continues, it's made clear that it wasn't a mistake, that Jason wanted them to know that he was entering France, and, and then the saga continues. I bring up that story because we often explain randomness in our world in a, in a number of different ways, right? Mistakes, coincidences, accidents, fate, flukes, serendipity, bad luck, good luck, karma. You pick your word. All words that the world uses to try to explain what is just beyond our reach. But we gather here this morning, of course, with, with a perspective, with a, with a worldview that recognizes that there is more than we can see. That God is on the throne. That Jesus is holding every molecule of our universe in place. That there is no luck. That there is no random. Because God doesn't do random. Albert Einstein once wrote, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. There's a lot we could talk about in this chapter, but there are once again two truths that I want us to meditate on for a few minutes this morning. And the first one is this. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant Lord that we've come to worship, Yahweh never leaves His people to chance. Yahweh never leaves His people to chance. Brothers and sisters, Ruth and Naomi's story reminds us that we don't live in a world of chaos. We live in a world governed by one word, a big word that we talk about a lot because it's all over the Scriptures. From the story of Joseph to the killing of Jesus, the word is providence. And providence is a truth not only that is all over the Scriptures, but it's one that we need to hear as God's people over and over again because it is for us an anchor for our souls. And you can see the story is kind of building on the momentum of, of last week that there is more that they couldn't, that there was more than they could see. So I want us to think about this in, in two ways. First, in the details of the story, in the details of Ruth and Naomi's story, and then in, in the cosmic, big picture sense of what God is doing in the world. It begins in verse 1. Naomi had a relative. What seems to be information that un, is unbeknownst to Ruth and Naomi is revealed to us that in the very same town in Judah to which they return to, there lives a relative. And those living, those living this story, they, they can't see it, but for us as readers, we hear that and immediately we think, or we ought to think, there is hope. If there's a relative, there is hope. Because hope in that culture for two widowed women means as I said last week, means a man needs to be in their future. And if there's a male relative, that could mean a future. 
In ancient Near Eastern culture, we've talked about this before, there is, a, there is an interconnectedness with families that, that's frankly foreign to not all of us, but it's foreign to, to some of us. For instance, in Leviticus 25, God, God has made provision in His law for family members who had fallen into debt to be brought out of debt by relatives. In Deuteronomy 25, God prescribed that if a wife in a family of brothers was widowed, that she shouldn't be married outside of the family, but one of those brothers ought to marry the widow of his deceased brother. In a sense, this shouldn't be too foreign of a concept. I mean, that's foreign to us for sure. But this notion of family interconnectedness, this notion of family responsibility and care for one another is something that the Apostle Paul speaks of again in the New Testament. And even more, as the covenant people of God, we ought to have this idea that God works through families. God cares for us through families. Biological families first. Covenant families secondarily outside of that. And so getting back to our story, this relative, Boaz, his presence, though they don't know about him, it's significant that they are landing on his doorstep, so to speak. So we learn in verse 1 that he's there. We don't know where exactly. They don't even know he's anywhere. But here's where Ruth, this woman who has been given grace by God to follow a bitter woman into a foreign land, here is where Ruth's God-given character begins to really shine. Because she steps out in faith. Here's this young woman in a foreign land with nothing familiar around her, with no future ahead of her, no food to keep her and Naomi alive. And so she volunteers to do what was a very difficult and a potentially dangerous job for a young woman to do. She volunteers to glean in the fields of harvest. Now this is foreign to our ears. This is foreign to our experience. But as a result of Yahweh's heart for the alien, the orphan, the widow, the Lord had provided and prescribed in His law the ability for those less fortunate to provide for themselves, not by a way of handout, but by a way of working themselves. This is really... This is really beautiful. Leviticus 19.9, God said to Israel, when you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord. In Deuteronomy 24, He said, when you reap your harvest in your field, you forget a sheaf in the field. Don't go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And so the Lord, reflecting His heart for the marginalized, for the downtrodden, for the needy, 
says, my people need to go out of their way to make sure that they are provided for. Basically, leave the corners of your fields unharvested and leave whatever you drop. Don't pick it up. It's a wonderful reminder of of God's heart for the nations as well as what he calls us, his people, to be. Not just Israel, the old covenant people of God, but, but us, the church, the new covenant people of God. Love the sojourner, he says to his people. Jesus said in Matthew 25, as you did it, Meaning, as you welcomed the stranger, as you gave food to the hungry, as you clothed the naked and gave a drink to the thirsty, as you did it to them, you did it to me. So among a host of other questions, this, if we were to stop right here, this, this brings a challenge to us as the church, as the people of God. We who like the culture around us are so prone to and so easily live insulated lives. All the more so in 2020. This law of God causes us to ask the question, are we people of grace? Do we see the needs around us? Do we make provision for those needs? Are we people leaving our corners unharvested? Whatever that means. I pray that we are, but as I, as I assess my own life, I see a whole lot of navel-gazing with Nate. We need to pray for Jesus' eyes to see people as he saw them, broken, image bearers of God, with a story of brokenness behind them. We need to pray for Jesus' patience. This is a big one. Jesus' patience to simply stop what we're doing, to be okay with Diversions. People are diversions at times. Well, Ruth, likely through the instruction of Naomi, she, she knew this provision of the law. She had heard about Yahweh's heart, and so she heads out to find a field. But God never leaves His people to chance. He's in the details. And so she happens upon the field of a relative that she didn't know was really there. At least she didn't know this was his field. And it's great the way our narrator presents it. He doesn't say God led her to a field, but the narrator actually presents it in this ironic way as if it really did just happen. Uh, The Hebrew is intensified. We literally could say she happened to happen upon or her chance chanced upon. Proverbs 16.9 The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his his steps. There's nothing left to chance. God's at work even in the details. 
Thinking about our responsibility, thinking about our story, thinking about us being a reflection of God's heart. How is God at the work in the details of our lives, of our day-to-day stories? Maybe through your interaction with that cashier, who you can tell has been crying, and yet she's working away. Most people just treating her as if she's a machine. Maybe the Lord is in the details of that frustrating diversion of getting a flat tire and interacting with that tire guy who saw a Bible sitting in your front seat and asked you what that was. Who knows? But God never leaves His people to chance. He's in the details. But it's not just in the details that we see here in the story of Ruth and Naomi. Yahweh is scheming in the grandest of stories because without this detailed direction to the field of Boaz, without all that is to come in the coming weeks, there there will be no future for Ruth. And if there is no future for Ruth, then there is no Obed. And if there is no Obed, there is no Jesse. And if there is no Jesse, there is no David. And if there is no line of David, then there is no Messiah Jesus. And here's the amazing thing about this story, not just that we're reminded that God's in the details of our lives at work, never leaving His people to chance, but that God was relentlessly pursuing these people thousands of years ago, orchestrating the details of their lives because He was relentlessly pursuing you and me. Just let that sink in. That cosmic reality. Through every experience, every blessing, every hardship, every frustration of 2020, He is in the details and He sees the big picture. That's the first thing I want us to focus our hearts on. But as we move on in the story, let's focus again on Ruth who has now kind of taken the leading role in this drama, right? I want to focus on her because she, re- she points us, I think, to our response to God, to this God of the details, to this God of the big picture. Notice Boaz doesn't ask, who is this young woman? He asks, whose young woman is this? He is wondering where she fits into society. And the question that he asks brings to our attention, the reader, the fact that there is a vulnerability that Ruth finds herself in. We see that all over the pages and all over the instruction that Boaz gives to keep close to his guys, to keep close to his women. Because she's in a foreign land and right at the moment she has no connection to a man. Ruth is out there. And yet she's been given faith. She's been given a hope for the future. And she reminds us of this. This is our second truth. That we must take refuge 
under His wings. We must take refuge under His wings. As Ruth has been led, as some people have called it, to this field of grace, she begins to experience the kind of grace that she's only heard about up until this point. Verses 11 and 12, Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told. How you left your father and mother, your native land, came to a people you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you've done. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Boaz praises Ruth for a faith that has let go and has clung to another, that has put herself out there. She has taken refuge, sought to take refuge in the wings of Yahweh. I camp out on that imagery that Boaz gives because I love it. And it's all over the Scriptures This imagery of a mother's wings enveloping her young as she shields them from the elements around. We heard something of this in the psalm of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided them. And throughout the Psalter, David uh, cries in Psalm 17, Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do violence. Psalm 63, You have been a help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Psalm 91, He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. Ruth had no reason to presume the Lord's favor. She simply casted herself upon the mercy and grace of Yahweh and sought to walk in faith. Grace is given to those who plead for it. God loves to give grace to the helpless because it gives Him glory. This is the call of the Gospel. To everyone in this room, to everyone watching, cast yourself upon the Lord. Ruth let her absolute barrenness proclaim the faithfulness of God, and as a result, God's kindness, God's extravagant grace is released through the person of Boaz. Notice he doesn't do the bare minimum for a foreigner in a field. He's not driven by obligation, but he's fueled by the same kindness that Yahweh has shown. And so by His command, she has protection in the field. She has water. She has more than enough food to take home to Naomi. Ruth is finding shelter in Boaz, but more importantly, in the wings of Yahweh. And yes, here is where where we start to see the beautiful human love story that exists between Boaz and Ruth. But you need to see so much more than that. You need to see what's happening between God and His people. Naomi is beginning to see this. 
In verse 20, she speaks of the kindness of the Lord seen through this possible Redeemer. We gather here this morning not with a possible Redeemer, but with the certainty of a Redeemer. The Redeemer for us has come. Emmanuel has come. And through Jesus, you are invited to hide yourself in the refuge of His wings. You must find refuge in His wings. I was looking through a a prayer book that I use sometimes both for the liturgy as well as for my own personal heart. And I read the prayer for today, December 13th. This is from a prayer book called Everyday Prayers, written by a guy, a pastor named Scotty Smith. And I just wanted to read a portion of his prayer for today as we digest God's Word this morning. He says this, Jesus, I praise You for being Emmanuel, God with me and God for me. Your presence and Your presence are all that I need. Much more than I realize and way beyond all I could have ever hoped for or imagined. You're at work in all things for your glory, for my good, in the obvious and in the not so obvious, in my gains and in my pains, in what I get and in the things that seem to contradict what I know, when I'm feeling the love and when I'm feeling very lonely, when the gospel makes all the sense in the, all the sense in the world to me, and when I'm tempted to say with John the Baptist, Are you the Messiah or should we be looking for another? But there is no other Messiah. There is no other Savior or Lord but you, Jesus. And absolutely nothing can separate me from your love. For I've been called according to your Father's purpose, which will never fail or falter. He foreknew me. He set His affection upon me before the world began. And He will continue to provide everything necessary to complete the work of the Gospel in my life, in the whole family of God, and in the entire creation. I pray by the light of this good news and great joy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for this reminder from Your servant Ruth of our need again to rest in the refuge of Your wings. For You have not forgotten Your people. You never leave Your people to chance, but You relentlessly pursue us. You steadfastly want to conform us, to mold us, and to make us into who You want us to be. So forgive us for our whining. Forgive me for my complaining, my grumbling. And may I be reminded, not just reminded in my head, but reminded in my heart, in my very spirit, 
that these realities shown here are true for me, are true for all who look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, take your word and plant it deep in us, I pray, for the glory of your name and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.